Annie and Julie here. Now, before we dive into this episode, we wanted to give you a quick heads up. You see, we recorded this conversation a few months ago, and as you know, the world has changed quite a bit in that time. However, the principles and strategies that we talk about in this episode are still very valuable, so we wanted to be sure to share this conversation with you. All right, without further ado, let's get into this episode. Uh, I happened to be drinking my coffee one morning and looked at an attorney's website, and I saw an auction in two hours with a house that was half a mile from me. And I walked in the living room, I saw Elizabeth, my wife, and I said, hey, I'm going to go look at a house. Do you mind if I buy a house today? And she goes, no. I go, okay, great. You're listening to Investing for Good, a show that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design, and impact the world around them. And now, here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey, Julie, how's it going? Hey, it's going good, going good. Good. Well, I wanted to ask you because um, I know that you and I are very different in a lot of ways, but we're very <laughs> complimentary. Um, but you had mentioned something in this in this episode that we're about to dig into about the types of businesses that you had always thought about or wanted to get into yeah. when you were in your twenties. So yeah. tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, I. You know, it's funny. I I've always been uh, an entrepreneur from when I was a kid. I think I've mentioned to you, like I used to make these little FEMO, I don't know if you know what FEMO is, but it's a kind of like clay. And I know you're, it's from the eighties, <laughs> you wouldn't know. Um, and I would make these little creatures from like a book, you know, I'd like, it'd be like a penguin or like a walrus or whatever. And I would go door to door, like selling these uh-huh. things for, you know, back then, like $7, which is pretty high markup. Oh. You know I mean, yeah, yeah. And people would buy um, and people would come back and I, I, I loved it. I sold cookies. I, you know, did the lemonade stand. I did all of that. And as I grew older, I always had an interest in parking lots because I, you know, would look at the structure and understand, especially living and growing up in San Francisco, that, you know, you have to pay like 20 bucks, like for 30 minutes or something crazy like that. And when you think about the potential expenses there, it's like little to none, yet you're paying so much money, you know? And so it always, I was always intrigued by that, that and laundromats, another, you know, potentially low operation costs business and uh, high revenue and those kinds of things. So um, love it. It's so funny because because I'm thinking back to recently when we we saw Tony Robbins. Yeah. We had this awesome opportunity to sit in, in the seventh row to see uh, Tony Robbins, which is crazy. So it was crazy. amazing. But I remember one thing that he said, which is about the three types of entrepreneurs. And you're either um, an artist or creator focused on impact, or you're a manager leader focused on systems and processes, or you are an entrepreneur, which he defines as somebody who's open to taking risk. Yeah. And I think that you are such a manager leader, <laughs> even from a young age. You could tell yeah. like you, that's yeah. what you were focused on. And when I think back to when I was growing up, it's so funny because I was always focused on the impact. Yeah. And I remember walking the streets with my friend to pick up trash. Uh-huh. And that was like what we did. Or like I would create these clubs to create community. And, you know, so for me, it was always that focus. And I think that's what makes us work so well together yeah. at 
good egg is that, you know, you're focused on the business aspect mm -hmm. and the systems, and then I can be focused on the impact piece. And together yeah. we really make this thing work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So let's talk about today's guest. We hinted a little bit at it with the parking lots, but today's guest is Sam Wilson. He's the creator of Parking Your Investments, which there is a pun in there because he focuses on parking. <laughs> he focuses on parking. He helps people to invest in these great parking lot and parking garage opportunities around the country, which is so cool. Yeah. And you know, the one thing that he shared with us that totally blew my mind was about how they're able to structure these deals and get the operator on the deal to basically guarantee, guarantee a monthly income or an annual income. And even if they have to take a little bit of a haircut on what they otherwise would be able to make if they were to operate it themselves, when you think about that from an investor standpoint, uh, I mean, it's, like, <laughs> you know, there's so much risk in, in what we do. Um, and you obviously have to understand how to mitigate those risks. But here it's like, it's almost kind of like a no brainer because you're guaranteed payment from these people. It's almost like you had brought up, it's almost like that triple net lease where you're kind of like hands off and it's like, Hey, you have an agreement, a contractual agreement to pay me this every month. And it is what it is, regardless mm -hmm. of the economy or whatever happens. And they basically, the operator assumes the risk in the deal not Sam and his group. Right. So I thought that was so interesting. So yeah, it was really cool to dig in and hear yeah. about him, you know, talk about all the risks that are presented in, in parking lots and the opportunities uh, as well. So that was a good one. You'll really get to hear Julie fangirl out about this whole parking lot, uh, <laughs> parking lot business. Um, so here it is, our episode, our conversation with Sam Wilson of Parking Your Investments. Sam, how are you? I'm great, Annie and Julie. How are you today? Good. We're excited to have you here and really dig into the parking space. Now, okay, first, Sam, I got to say, so I'm sure I'm not alone in this when I say that I have driven by hundreds, if not thousands of parking lots in my lifetime, but I never stopped to think, huh, someone probably owns that parking lot and is probably making money off of it. Right, right. And I, I think for most people, when they think about investing in real estate, they jump right into single family homes, right? They buy the home, they find a tenant, they start collecting those monthly rent checks. Sure. Was that your path as well? Or did you just skip right to the parking lots, <laughs> lots and you were like, oh, parking is where the real money is? <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I absolutely wish, you know, that I had skipped right to parking lots. That, that would be an epic. A success story. But no, I, I actually did, like everyone else, start in single family. My intro actually to real estate was an accident. I um, had sold a business in Indianapolis and it headed south and I knew nothing about real estate. I just happened to have heard the word foreclosure somewhere. This was in 20, let's see, 2013. I heard the word foreclosure and just happened to be perusing a here in Tennessee. Um, you know, they list them sometimes on the attorney's website. They'll say, hey, this, this auction's coming up and this is the price. Uh, I happened to be drinking my coffee one morning and looked at an attorney's website. And I saw an auction two hours with a house that was half a mile from me. And I walked in the living room. I saw Elizabeth, my wife, and I said, hey, I'm going to go look at a house. Do you mind if I buy a house today? And she goes, no. I go, 
okay, great. <laughs> so I went over, looked at the house two hours later at the courthouse steps. I won the auction and made a pile of money on it. And that was my intro to real estate. And suddenly I said, hey, wait, I did this once. I can keep doing this. So 60 some odd houses later, I had had my fill of single family and started looking for my next asset class. And that is where I met um, a business partner out of Texas. And we started buying parking lots and parking garages. He's an industry veteran. So I partnered up with him, used his expertise and brought my skill sets to the table and we're off to the races. Okay. Hold on. Hold on just a second though. Sure. You're drinking, I want to go back. You're drinking your coffee. You see this thing for an auction. What made you say, oh, I want to go buy that house when most people would probably say, oh, that's, you know, that flip the page, move on to the next news story. Uh, well, my background was in the trades. So I, I, had, I, owned, I owned a construction related business in Indiana. So I already knew the fundamentals of housing. I just, at least I could, I could walk in a house, look at it and go, okay, this thing has good bones. It has terrible bones. I entered the home. Of course it was vacant. You know, the guy had passed away and it's vacant. And it was actually up to our waist and trash. But I walked in the house and looked around and I go like, this is actually, that was the first, my first step was obviously to see the house. Like, and you don't always get to see them when you're buying foreclosures. I bought plenty of foreclosures sight unseen, but this one I got to see the inside of. And as we walked through it, I said, man, this house has good bones. Like, this is, this is workable. So as opposed to flipping the page, I also knew that um, I knew the values, approximate values of houses in the area. And I just said, you know, I can, I can put, and I actually came within like $100 of my remodel budget on it. Just kind of walked around the pencil on a napkin and said, eh, all right, it cost about X, Y, Z to get this done, um, which was kind of a complete fluke. But again, all the stars that, lined up for the first one. <laughs> Yeah. That's crazy. That's like going on the prices right and getting within like a few dollars of the final like price. That's yeah. unheard of. It, it was nuts. It was nuts actually. I mean, it, it literally was the back of a napkin. I'm like, yeah, about it. Da, 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 da. Okay, let's let's go. Um, wow. And it uh, yeah, it worked out. I mean, we you know not everyone's been as successful. I can I can write a, a book on how to lose money in real estate too. We've had plenty of those. Ah, oh, crap. I don't want to do that again. But. <laughs> You know, that just comes with the territory, I think, when you're doing uh, more things in volume. But that's how we got started in it. And the reason, I don't know if we want to go here yet or not, but I mean, the kind of the reason we transitioned out of single family was just because of, um, as the years have progressed, let's see, you know, competition has increased, obviously, with the rise of bigger pockets. You know, the number of people who want to enter the, the real estate space find single family the least kind of intimidating. Everybody seems to understand it mm -hmm. kind of intuitively. So the number of players have increased, the uh, margins have decreased, so your return on investment has gone down quite a bit, and your risk has also gone up. Compound that with also your labor rates have risen, and you know just finding quality contractors, getting them there on time, it became what I called running an adult daycare. So it was mm -hmm. it just it was too much. Um, I was already bald from my last business. I lost all my hair in that. And so I said, you know what? I can't afford to lose any more hair. Uh, what little hair I have left and just started looking for my next asset class. And that's when parking kind of cropped up. And I said, hey, wait, here's an asset class that's easy to manage. I have no tenants, toilets, or termites. I have no phone calls. I have no midnight calls. I'm not up late worrying about contractors. I mean, once we buy the asset and put it under management, we get a check in our bank account every month. And it's crickets after that, which is perfect. That is so cool. I, it's so funny. Annie and I always joke how different we are. We're like so similar. We're like a puzzle. We fit together like like this, like just like that. Like we, we're so much aligned, but like we're so different because I growing up and like like not growing up as a child, but 
you know, in my early twenties would drive by parking lots and be like, if there's any business I want to own, it's a parking lot. Because when you think about the, the margins and how much people have to pay, particularly here in San Francisco, which is where I grew up in, in my twenties. And it's like, you think about how much people have to pay on a per minute basis. And then you think about who's operating this thing. And oftentimes, well, like 10, 20 years ago, it was like a person. Now, a lot of them, you'll find that there's machines there and that's about it. Um, But when you think about who's operating it and what could possibly go wrong there and how much people are having to pay, it's crazy. The margins are so crazy. Right. Right. On a risk adjusted basis. Absolutely. It's crazy. Because, I mean, and, and that's one of the things that we're looking for right now, um, just with, you know, the, the everybody's talk of recession. It's like, gosh, I, I want to be in a stable asset class. I want to be in something that, you know, we have guaranteed leases for seven years from national operators that are traded on the NASDAQ. Like, I, I, I just, mm-hmm. I want my risk to be as minimal as possible. I think that's a blog post you guys wrote recently right. was, was about capital preservation. I'm like, that's exactly mm-hmm. what we're focusing on. You know, we're not hitting mm-hmm. it out of the park, but capital preservation is huge. So, yeah, you're right. On a risk-adjusted basis, it makes all the sense in the world. So talk to us a little bit about parking lots. Like, how do you, you know, because I can talk to you all day long about multifamily, how we approach it, where we start. You know, for us, it's like, you know, we're looking at the teams, really. Then we're looking at the markets. We look at, you know, population growth, job growth. We're looking at, you know, job diversity, all those kinds of things. So when you're approaching the potential acquisition of a parking lot, what are some of the things that you look for? Right. I mean, I think the key thing, and, and, and I would boil all of those things, I think, down to demand generators. Like, what's the mm-hmm. demand generator? You mm-hmm. know, for you guys in multifamily, if there's no job growth, there's no income growth, you know, there's population shrinking, there's no demand generator for multifamily housing. Mm-hmm. 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 For us, you know, there, there's a few basic things that are consistent demand generators in parking. One is, is dense urban areas. That's where we're always going to start. Obviously, you're not looking in rural areas. No right. one's paying for parking in a, in a rural county town or whatever. You know, So dense urban areas, it's going to be around places. You know, For us, we, we love transient parking, so daily parking. Mm-hmm. So places where you'll need to go in and out of. It can be a, a government building. It could be uh, a courthouse. It could be a jail. It could be a sports arena. It could be bar, night, weekend traffic. I mean, any of those things that are consistent demand generators, mm-hmm. that's where we want to buy parking. So I don't know, does that, does that answer the question? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And we're like, so we're talking about cities that are, are fairly busy, like somewhere like San Francisco, um, where there's just a pop, lot of population, a lot of people kind of coming and going. How, who owns these? So when you're looking to buy these, I mean, who are, who are the sellers? Are they all kinds of different people? Are they institutions? Are they mom and pop? Are they companies right that so that, right yeah i mean there's a few big big players in the country okay that own a few billion in parking mm-hmm. but the opportunity for us lies in that a lot of these have been passed down from generation to generation mm. so i've got a, i've got a deal we're working on right now there's 16 heirs so just getting an loi into 16 heirs hands <laughs> from like grandmothers <laughs> all the way to great great grandchildren it's like, okay, so, you know, a seven-day LOI expiration, you know, for your listeners is letter of intent. You know, for us, we, we kind of go through two phases as opposed to a traditional, here's just a straight purchase and sale agreement, which is what we always did in housing. Mm-hmm. In this space, we kind of offer an LOI so we can get through some of the preliminary negotiations without spending 2500 bucks on an actual purchase and sale agreement mm-hmm. for that particular lot. So 
but this LOI has to go to 16 different people. So, you know, that that's the opportunity right now is that a lot of this stuff is still owned by, you know, families or people that are retiring or just, I mean, it's all over the map. You know, the institutions are, are catching wind of it, mm. no doubt, mm-hmm. no doubt. And we're seeing stuff get gobbled up in mass faster than we could, would probably like, but there's still plenty of opportunity in even small spaces. I mean, so, you know, if a lot only has 20 spaces, maybe, the, maybe it's too small for the institutional buyers, mm-hmm. but for, for a guy like me, it might throw off 150 grand a year. And that's, you know, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and so why are, why do you feel like right now at this point, institutions are only picking them up now? I mean, I would imagine that this was something that so e- it just makes so much sense. Like, why do you feel like only now they're kind of picking up on that? Uh, I, I, hard to say. I'm probably not old enough yeah. to, to, to rewind 25 <laughs> years. And, you know, I wasn't thinking about uh, parking lots 25 yeah. years ago. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I, I wish I had an answer to that. Yeah. Um, but I really don't, okay. I don't have one. Maybe it's, maybe it's just that, that they're kind of like the rest of us. They get an idea and go, Oh wait, we, we've got money behind us to spend. And especially right now with the credit markets being as wide open as they are. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are, people are dying to place capital. Mm-hmm. So um, if you've got, you know, big institutions that can leverage huge amounts of money, it just makes sense for them to go out and put a stable income producing asset. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So tell us about how these deals are structured. So if you have an investor that comes to you and they say, hey, Sam, I have $100,000. What does that look like in terms of like annualized returns? Is there equity on the back end? How do these things appreciate? You know, with value add multifamily, you know, we're really able to go in and force the value of, of the properties through the renovations because you're buying a parking lot with nothing that needs to be upgraded or renovated. How are you just relying on like an average three to five percent appreciation rate or or talk to us a little bit about all of that? Yeah, so there is parking has its own version of value add, I would say. One obviously is that because you do have a lot of these legacy owners that don't necessarily know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. This might be their only lot. Mm-hmm. They may be may be terrible negotiators with the parking companies or parking operators. So just to be clear, we don't actually operate our own lots. Mm. Our, our structure is a buy the asset, plug it in with a national operator. We're not in the operator oh, operating business. Got it. Okay. So for us, it's hands. It's, it's a very hands off transaction. That's the way we want it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could we could develop our operating arm, but but I think that's just. It's just not where we want to be. Mm-hmm. So that aside, you know, lease renegotiation is one of your first steps. I mean, I'm thinking back to an asset we picked up last year and we turned it from 115000 because the owner was actually a billboard company on that particular asset. And they owned the lot and we said, hey, guys, you can keep the billboard, sell us the lot. Mm-hmm. They're like, okay, we're not in parking, but we are in the billboard business. Mm-hmm. Great. We went from $115,000 a year in OI to renegotiating it to one hundred and fifty. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's not quite 30 whatever that is, 28%, mm-hmm. I don't know what the number is, yeah. but quite a bit of renegotiation without any really fuss from the operator because mm-hmm. the operator was still making their mark. Right. And so they're like, oh, okay, well, we either are going to get kicked out and they're going to put somebody else in or we're going to pay them more money. Mm-hmm. So value add one is re- lease renegotiation. Two, of course, you can always stripe and repave a lot. So if it's a dumpy lot, no one's maintained it, which you know a lot of your older owners don't want to take care of things. I mean, that's just traditional real estate 101, I think even in housing, mm-hmm. I mean, so many of the opportunities in housing lie with, with, you know, the older people moving out of housing, they just hadn't taken care of. Mm-hmm. So that still happens even there, you know, even garages, same story. If it's a garage that the owner doesn't want to put a half a million dollars in capital improvements in, 
those things do help drive up revenue. Uh, the other thing is figuring out. So if, if it's a you know full monthly parking lot, we want to we want to turn that into a daily parking asset. So you know maybe maybe it's canceling the contracts with the local businesses around there and saying, hey guys, this is going to daily parking. Mm-hmm. Sorry, but whatever you were paying, just not it's not worth it to mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. So and a lot of those things you try to figure out early on. You know, obviously before you buy the asset, during your due diligence, other things you try to figure out. Mm-hmm. You know, can we, we renegotiate the lease? Is there a demand enough that we can say no to monthly parking and go to daily parking only? Because mm-hmm. obviously daily parking can generate way more money than a um, a monthly tenant would. Mm-hmm. So that's how you do kind of value add. And then mm-hmm. I think the second part of your question was about how we structure these. So, mm-hmm. you know, for us, if we syndicate a lot, which uh, we're going to structure it as a limited partnership and a general partnership, we'll be the general partner. And obviously all the investors are in the limited partnership. And I will probably invest alongside in the limited and general partnership. Mm-hmm. I'll be the owner of the general partnership and I'll invest also in the LP as well. Mm-hmm. And the and the way we're typically structuring them is a 70-30 split. Okay. So there might be a preferred return, depending on the lot, we'll, we'll either up the preferred or, you know, keep it down just because we don't want to overshoot the runway. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're, you're typically talking 6 to 8% on preferred return. Okay. So, you know, it's not, uh, in, in my opinion, coming from places where I've known that, you know, with a lot more risk and a lot more work, we can generate 20. Mm-hmm. I'm not, it's not that exciting, mm-hmm. but I think again on a risk risk adjusted basis, right. six to eight percent is great. Mm-hmm. So we have that for the preferred return, and then there's a seventy thirty investor to general partnership split on the equity on the back end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the investors would still take seventy percent of the cut upon sale. Mm-hmm. Uh, of profits. Mm-hmm. And what does that look like? Is it like after all is said and done after sale, is it like roughly about a 15% annualized return? Uh, yeah, probably closer to the closer to 17. Okay. I would say you know, 15 to 17 would be about an average number on that. Okay. And then but I would probably say it's even higher. Than, yeah. Oh, okay. That's, that's probably a fair number. Okay. And then the cash flow, this six to 8%, do you guys normally pay that out on a monthly basis or quarterly or annually? You know, we've done, a, we've done a biannually here in the past, you know, and again, it depends on the asset. Okay. Uh, depends on how long we think it's going to take us to actually get it, everything in, in place where we can make distributions. But I think we'd probably in the future move to more of a quarterly asset okay. distribution schedule. Okay. It's really interesting to hear you talk about how you guys don't operate it. I didn't know that. I had no idea. Right. It's kind of like, so, well, I, I don't know. I'll ask you, is it sort of like buying land for mobile home parks and then you don't, you have a property manager, but you just own the land. And then you have a PM company who comes in and manages all the tenants and the residents and things like that. Or, or like in multifamily, we have the asset management team and then we have the property managers. Like, would you be more like a pro- the asset management team or more like the landowners in mobile home parks or neither one or um, what, what that, I'm just curious. Or a triple net lease. Mm-hmm. Or triple well, net lease, the, the, yeah. The, yeah, so it depends on the asset. If we can get the operator to agree to a triple net lease, that's great. Uh-huh. Um, most of ours are going to be a net net lease. Um, so we'll end up picking up taxes on most of these. So it just kind of depends on how, how great the asset is. So that's the answer on the on the net lease side, and I'm not sure I'm going to understand your question entirely, but I'll I'll shoot and see if this makes sense. So I would say it's more like you've hired a property manager for a multifamily okay. asset, uh-huh. except in this case, I don't and, and correct me, I, I don't I've I'm only got personally one investment in a multifamily mm-hmm. project. So mm-hmm. you tell me, maybe mm-hmm. is in multifamily do they guarantee you a payment of mm-hmm. a certain amount, mm-hmm. or does the property manager say, hey, look, we're we're going to do a management agreement? Whatever we make, we'll take ten percent of, and you take the other ninety or whatever the split is. Correct. Is that more yeah. Like what a property. That's exactly how okay. it is. Yeah. 
Right. So unlike both of those, I think either from multi or from multifamily or from mobile home parks, mm-hmm. for us, we get a guaranteed number. Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. operator comes to us and they say, hey, Sam, we're going to pay you $200,000 a year. No matter what, wow. we don't care if we make a dollar on it. This is what we're going to pay you. So there's no <laughs> real exposure for us. Oh my gosh. Which means then that there's like very little exposure for risk for your investors. Correct. Oh, oh my That's exactly gosh. Right. That's crazy. Which is what I'm which is what I was saying when we have a when we have a guaranteed lease from a national operator. Right. I mean, they're on the hook for seven years to pay us that amount of money, no matter what. I don't care if it makes a dollar. Oh my and, gosh! Wow. Does that happen all yeah. the time, or just sometimes? It's the only leases we'll sign. Wow. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, now the, the, now the industry standard to 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 bring this full full kind of cycle, the yeah. industry standard is not that. Okay. Is not that, okay. but we just have set our, you know, put our mark in the sand and said, guys, this is what we're doing. Now with that, I will argue that there comes a potential downside risk for us and that they're not going to guarantee a lease they can't pay. Right. So maybe, maybe we take a little bit of a, of a, of a haircut on the front end right. with them saying, all right, guys, you know what? So maybe we thought we could pay, you know, maybe if it was a, what they call a management agreement, which mm-hmm. is where they say, all right, so you know, the 90, 10 or 80, 20, whatever, whatever the split is, they're going to kind of be more conservative on their guaranteed lease side, mm-hmm. but that's okay. But that's okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll take the haircut mm-hmm. and just say, all right, great. Well, at least we have a guaranteed number and I can take that back to the bank. And that makes these super financeable. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So oh we can gosh. get 80% LTV uh, loans on these, mm-hmm. you know, from banks because they say, oh, yeah, what's mm-hmm. your risk? Right. Great. What is the max LTV that you guys have done? 80. Okay. After that, I mean, we're, you know, it's, you, you got, you got to bring 20% to the table. So that's just the way it goes. That's interesting with, I mean, the, the amount of risk that is presented here, which seems like so little in this arrangement, and yet you are not, you know, wanting to push the envelope because I know even in multifamily, there's a lot of people who are wanting to push the envelope to like 85% LTV, 90% LTV with so many like potential risks. And this, you know, a situation like this, I would imagine that maybe, you know, you would feel comfortable to push it to 85, 90%, you know, um, just because it's like guaranteed income. Right. I mean, right. Yeah. 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 But that's even exactly right. That's even better. We, we haven't found the lender that we, yeah. Well, I mean, we, to be, to be fair, I bet we would if, um, if we found a lender that would let us do it, but we just hadn't found them yet. Got it. So, okay. and, and there's not that many lenders that lend in this space. I mean, you, oh, you got to remember, I mean, when we go to a real estate conference, I'm typically the only one doing parking. Yeah. So you think about that in relation to the number of banks that understand parking and they're almost as few. Mm. Uh-huh. We'll get back to our conversation with Sam in just a minute. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid like we were that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong experienced teams and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations, and as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. 
we could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day. Because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com slash invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com slash invest. And now back to our chat with Sam Wilson. Well, tell us a little bit about the appreciation because one of the the coolest things about parking is that they're not making any more land, right? So right. there's people out there building buildings and office space and multifamily. There's always more of that popping up. But parking is more and more rare because every time a building goes up, you lose the potential for that to be a parking lot or a parking garage. Right. And so tell us a little bit about the appreciation aspect. Sure. I mean, land obviously in, in dense urban areas typically appreciates. And, and that's kind of one of the things that is kind of our bane of our existence right now is that the prices that uh, land is selling for is just, it, it almost makes parking a tough land pl- or, or a tough buy mm-hmm. just because everybody wants to, to sell on a two cap. And for us, we can't buy on a two cap and have it make sense. So, you know, that we certainly want to buy, um, but we don't want to buy with appreciation in mind. I mean, I think that's one of the, the gold rules of uh, it, real estate investing is buy for cash flow and don't buy for appreciation. So for us, if we get appreciation, great. And if we don't, oh, well, mm-hmm. like we're still making money on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of been our strategy. And I think it's one of the guns we're sticking to is that we're buying for, for cash flow and not necessarily for appreciation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And But if it happens, we're excited. Yeah, so, right. I mean, of course. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's the no cherry one's, on no top. No one's mad about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Correct. The cherry on top. If it comes, great. If it doesn't, yeah. no problem. The numbers still work, you know? Mm-hmm. Correct. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so... Tell us, I know that with your arrangement, it doesn't really matter, um, but with the um, advent of self-driving cars and electric cars and, you know, does that impact the parking space at all? Not really. I mean, I think, you know, we hear a lot about that and that's always been a, a, a rebuttal from a lot of people of like, well, you know, self-driving cars are going to eliminate parking. Yeah. Okay. So self-driving cars got to park somewhere too, first off. <laughs> yep. And then secondly, and maybe, maybe everyone's now sharing that self-driving car. I don't know. But secondly, if it's a surface lot in a dense urban area, it's going to get repurposed. Again, like just going back to our comment from a couple minutes ago, they're not making more dirt in downtown Dallas. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's just the land's not growing. Sorry. So we can always repurpose a surface lot. And if it's a garage, it can get torn down and turned to something else. Mm-hmm. So just, again, not, not stressed about that at all. Yeah, it's not even really on the radar, to be honest with yeah. you. So I, one question that I want to ask that I'm super curious about is I'm always wondering about the risks. When investors ask me about the risks with multifamily 
Um, you know, I kind of have my top three that I always let them know, like, here are the top three things that you should always consider when you're getting into these deals. So what would be like the top three risks that, you know, investing in parking lots presents for investors? Sure. I mean, depends on what you're looking to invest in. One is your opportunity cost. Mm -hmm. So if you're, if you're tying your money up and, and let's, let's say it does have a 17% internal rate of return over the life of the property. That's great. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a pretty solid return. But let's say it doesn't. Let's say it makes 8%. Mm -hmm. You know, if it becomes just a stable workhorse investment. Mm -hmm. uh, so wh what else could you have been doing with your money that could have made more than, you know, an 8% return? Mm -hmm. so, there, and I, so I think for the right balance portfolio, that's great. You know, mm -hmm. and you, it could, you know, for to take some risk off the table, it's a great place to be. Mm -hmm. uh, so one's your opportunity cost. Two is that you lose your demand generator. So mm. let's say that you buy a lot and it's um, next to a, bar and weekend traffic. And for whatever reason, five of those businesses go under and the area goes to the dumps. Everybody closes down. Mm. Like, okay, well, nobody's paying to park here anymore. There's lots of, lots of places here in Memphis, which is where I'm from that, you know, it, there's just no demand. Like I look at the lots and I wouldn't take if they were given to me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And at some point somebody may have, you know, 30 or 40 years ago actually had paid parking. Right. I don't know. Yeah. So, you know, you, you got to know your demand generators and that's part of our, our due diligence is actually, um, you know, going in the buildings around it, finding out who the tenants are. If it's mm -hmm. a high rise building going in there, looking at the list and saying, who all's in here? Mm -hmm. Are these companies going to be here a long term, a long time? Oh, it's an IRS mm -hmm. office. Like, mm -hmm. okay, these guys probably are going to be here a minute. Mm -hmm. So, you know, looking at, looking at who the tenant mix is. So, so one of your opportunity cost two is what's the demand generator. Uh, and then I guess thirdly would be, you know, let's say you do have a seven year lease, the demand generator dies off. I guess it kind of ties back into number two, but your operator doesn't renew at the same price. Mm -hmm. And they could say, Hey guys, look, you know, it was a great seven year run. I'm glad that you guys got paid, but we can only afford to pay you half what we did before. Right. So that can absolutely happen. Uh, another risk would be just buying it wrong. I did a, a video actually on YouTube here about a month ago, and there's two lots in Memphis. One off the guy $1.2 million for, and 200 yards down the road, I wouldn't take it for 20 grand. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. until you know a city and really know it well and know the days and times and when people park, mm -hmm. you can really buy wrong mm -hmm. if you don't have an, a really in-depth understanding of the market you're buying. Mm -hmm. So, you know, th those are obviously all risks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you just go out willy nilly and start buying parking, you're, you're probably not going to be in the business for, for the duration. I, I feel like recession is so much more relevant to everything that you're talking about here as it relates to parking lots and the risks, because, you know, with multifamily, it's like, well, in the recession, people move down, they move to the B class assets. They Everybody always needs housing. But in a recession, these businesses could go belly up, like you were saying, all these demand generators could evaporate overnight um, and could significantly impact the potential projected returns over the long run and even the cash flow that's there, too. So, I mean, would you agree with that? Uh, maybe a little bit. Again, you, you got to look at the, the length of your leases to start with. Okay. So unlike, I think, multifamily, I mean, we do have five to seven year leases that where at least you say, all right, for this window, we're getting paid X amount of dollars. Uh -huh. You know, in multifamily, I don't think you have that guarantee. You right. might have. You yeah. know, you, 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 you don't you have might not make a dollar ever. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. So, so, so we're at least seven years in the black okay. out of the gate, which is a good, a good place to start your safety net. Mm -hmm. You know, beyond that, I mean, if, if the whole world turned upside down, I think all bets are off for everybody anyway. Yeah. I mean, there's just not like, there's not a perfect asset, right. I think, to mitigate all risks. But you're right. You know, do, do, again, knowing what your demand generator is. If, if you're, 
and I hate to say this, but like when times get tough, things like courthouses and jail jails, they don't um, see less traffic. Right. Yeah. I was just going to say that. I mean, yeah, I hate to say it, but that's just that's that's just a, an economic reality. Mm-hmm. So people are still going to pay for those spots. Maybe if you were banking on the bar and weekend traffic. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. That, that may suffer. But or a ball game traffic. I mean, that's another huge generator. If you mm-hmm. own a, a gorgeous lot outside of a stadium, I mean, mm-hmm. people aren't paying 250 bucks a ticket to go to see a, a sports game. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so it's super important to do your due diligence on the type of, of surrounding companies that are around there that are, you know, driving the demand there. And that lot is so critical to really foreseeing the, the projected returns on the back end um, and throughout critical. the yeah, whole period. Okay. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Okay. So tell us a little bit about um, wanting to scale and wanting to potentially syndicate deals. Have you guys done that at this point? We have syndicated uh, a deal and it was great. Actually, that's kind of one of my skill sets I'm bringing to the table from with my business partner is that uh, he has not syndicated up to this point. I said, look, we can buy more if we present these deals out to our investors. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, the plan is to buy as much parking as we can possibly get our hands on as mm-hmm. long as the deals make sense. Mm-hmm. And with, in, 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 you know, doing that, we're going to need partners to come alongside of us as passive uh, partners in the deals. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I, I hate to, I hate to be as, as vague as that, but you know, we got more lines in the water than we, than we can count. Yeah. And um, when they start hitting, you know, we're, we absolutely are going to need partners to come alongside. Yeah. And what are some steps that you're taking to, uh, you know, be able to do bigger and, you know, more syndications and uh, find investors? And I mean, that's, as we know, uh, in the business that we're in, that's not an easy feat. So talk to us a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, obviously, attending conferences going, uh, gosh, I was at a conference in Los Angeles last weekend. I'll be at the best ever conference here in a couple of weeks. And just reaching out to everybody we know, working with you and Julie, or excuse me, uh, Julie and Annie, mm-hmm. um, you know, shameless plug here. They're great to work with. Um, <laughs> but work, working with you guys and really just developing that framework that we that we can bring investors into. They understand what we're doing and how we do it clearly. Because, you know, I think there's a lot of things we always have in our head, but getting it out and disseminating that information to the public is a lot harder than maybe it should be. So, yeah, I mean, that's it. It's really talking as much as we can about parking, presenting those opportunities and just seeing where, uh, seeing, you know, where, if it's a good fit for other, other, um, partners, I mean, even just finishing up our last deal, we had the deal go full cycle and, you know, there's people already calling saying, Hey, we want to, we want to be in on your next deal. Mm-hmm. Tell us what you got going on. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think that's part of it is just gaining traction with your current list of investors that have made money with you and saying, Hey, we like, we like what we're doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's nothing better than happy investors. That's always what you want is, uh, <laughs> Correct. Yeah. And uh, for our (laughs) listeners, you know, Sam is one of our rock star coaching members in our real estate accelerator program, which helps people learn to raise capital and to scale their real estate investing businesses. And Sam has really made some tremendous progress in the short time that you've been in the program. And we absolutely love, I mean, a lot of our coaching members are involved in multifamily as we are, but we love that you are in this, this, um, I guess it's a fringe asset class, something that's, you know, not a lot of people know about. And yet the same model applies where you provide value to your investors, you educate them, and then you get them into these great opportunities. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, it's been great. Can't, can't complain at all. <laughs> awesome. 
All right. Well, should we move into the impact round? Let's do it. All right. So we're going to ask you three questions about investing for good. All right. So the first question is investing in yourself. So what is one way that your investments are helping you to live a better life? Sure. Uh, let's see. I, I've given this absolutely no thought whatsoever. <laughs> Go so for it. this is perfect. It, it's off the cuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, I hate to say that because I, re- I think I read them this morning. I'm like, I need to think about it. No worries. Um, you know, first off, I'd say that health is wealth. Mm-hmm. Like I know a lot of people with way more money than, I mean, you know, they got a lot of money, but they're not healthy. Yeah. And I just go, man, the first thing, I mean, Elizabeth and I get up every morning at 435, you know, by the time I've kind of done my morning reading and journaling and praying and thinking, like we're at the gym by six, yeah. you know, work out for 45 minutes and home by seven, ready, ready to hit the day. Um, so for me, investing in just my personal health is like top priority. Um, and I don't think that a lot of people can, you know, just because of the, the um, craziness of a J-O-B and everything else can really afford to do those things. Yep. Um, like, hey, man, I'm going to, you know, spend an hour and a half prepping for the day, mm-hmm. spend 45 minutes prepping my health for the day. Yeah. And then actually get into the day. Right. I think having that on ramp every, you know, five days a week, is a really uh, a big benefit to what we do and how I invest mm-hmm. in myself outside of that. Gosh, I read like a, like a, um, you know, I read as much as I can read every day on my, you know, part of my checklist for every day is did I get my reading done? Yeah. And I've got like 15 books that I have a due date on my tape to a wall with all the books that I want to read by June 1st. Uh-huh. It's like read all these books by June uh-huh. 1st. Okay. Uh-huh. I got, got things to do. So that's how I invest in myself okay. um, is really feeding my mind and feeding my body and then eating really well. Uh-huh. Like just, just, I'm, I'm not a health freak, but I do love to go to the gym and I love to eat a lot mm-hmm. and good food a lot. So yeah. those are the three kind of things I do. What are the top three books that you're reading or that you could recommend that you've Ooh, already read? Shoot. <laughs> the top three uh, I, I I've loved the book. Who or is, is it? there one? Um, yeah, I'm just curious. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to put okay, it, no give it to you in the show notes. Yeah, we'll yeah. Put it in the show notes because I've really enjoyed it. Like I've read it this year. Like you see a lot of your own internal deficiencies, and you're like, gosh, like oh, that's that's why I do that. Right. I should stop doing that. <laughs> um, but it's been very 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 positive. So and, and I can only remember book names. But no it worries. Come to the top of my no mind. worries. Didn't mean to put All you right. on the spot. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So no, you're good. Uh, second question is investing in others. So what is one investment hack or strategy that you might be able to share with our audience that would help them kind of catapult their investing uh, journey? Is that okay? So, how to invest into others, or how do I invest oh, into others? Oh, like so. Um, what's just one thing that you might be able to share with the audience that you think they could, you know, benefit from? Uh, you know, if it's like it could be something like, like for me, something I love to share is like using whole life insurance policies as like a boost to all of the investments that I make. Like a lot of people are like, "What? I didn't know about that." So, is there anything that you right. might know that? like a little secret or something that you've done, you know, with your investments, with your money, with your strategy that you could share? Uh, gosh, I mean, you know, I, th- I think one is, is, um, always, obviously talking to your friends about, um, self-directed IRAs. Mm-hmm. I mean, the number of people that just know nothing about that. Yeah. And, and, I, and I feel like, I feel like in the investment world, like by the, when you, when you hear the word real estate, if you've done five minutes of due diligence, you're going to get beat over the head with have a self-directed IRA. Right. But 95% of the world doesn't function in the real estate world. Right. So 
they've never heard of it. Like, wait, I can, and I mean, just this week I placed money in a, in a, I think we already mentioned it, but in a multifamily syndication via an IRA. And I'm yeah. like, gosh, like how many people don't know about yeah. this? Yeah. I've even had buddies fund when we were doing the housing business. I had them fund do unsecured funds to our housing company mm-hmm. through their IRAs with promissory notes so we could flip houses from the auction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think, I think that's, you know, just, just, and they didn't know about it until I went to them and said, right. Hey man, your, 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 your wealth advisors cost you 2% a year. And by the way, we're in a huge up market. And have you made any money with him in a decade? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. here, why don't you come make some money with me? Right. <laughs> Fire your advisor and come make money with me. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good one. I think you're the first one to mention that. And, and that's such a good one. It's one that I had to discover in like reading a blog post in some place buried in bigger pockets. Like, <laughs> right. Um, right. You know, and so that's such a great one. And like you said, not a lot of people know about that, you know, and um, the minute I found out about that, I, stopped contributing to my 401k and told my husband to stop contributing to his 401k. And we moved everything over that we could after I left my job, moved everything over to a self-directed IRA, moved that into real estate and have watched it steadily grow over the last three, four years. It's been great. Right. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah. And on, you don't have that fear of like, oh man, you know, is the stock market going to crash? Like what's going to happen? You know, it's like, Ugh. you know, the investment that you've made, you know, where that asset lives, you know, how they're making money, you know, how your return is coming back to you. And, you know, it's not like this like hope and pray strategy, which is right. totally how <laughs> what happened. Everyone seems to function. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I was sitting in the airport the other day and I heard, heard this lady, you know, she, she's reading off her phone. She's like, Oh, the, you know, whatever market was she was watching. She's like, Oh, it dropped by blah, blah, blah points. And I'm like, yeah. I'm so glad I'm off of that. Right. I know. Like, I don't care. Yep. <laughs> like, yep. It just feels really nice. It does. Yeah. yeah. I love that one. Okay. Last question is investing in the world. What is one way that your investments are helping make the world a better place? Yeah. So this is going to go way off topic. My wife owns, we actually own a laundromat here in Memphis. Oh, cool. um, so this is kind of another Another little investment nugget we have, which actually the cash on cash return, it's finally actually starting to make money. But we we purposely live and have this laundry facility because where laundry facilities thrive is not in your higher economic areas or you know income areas. Mm-hmm. But that laundromat is probably the biggest outreach that we could ever possibly have mm. in ever doing everything from like free, you know, free laundry days to, I mean, a lot of these families can't afford pictures with Santa. Yeah. I mean, believe it or not. So like, you know, having the bank pitch in all their Christmas ornaments and Christmas trees yeah. and having neighbors be Santa and like oh, doing cool. pictures, bringing photographers in, do stuff like that all the time. And I think that's been one of our biggest outreach opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're making a little bit of money on it. But it, um, in the end, allows us really to give back, I think, to a community that doesn't have many people really giving mm-hmm. to it in those capacities. And it's the, it's the most highest rated, most reviewed laundromat in Memphis. It's got like 235 Ooh, star reviews. Wow. That's yeah, so, awesome. so it's kind of, that's Elizabeth's like nurturing project. I mean, I, I'd give her you know, 99% of the credit on that, okay. but it's still something that we're pretty involved in that I really... I, I enjoy it as well. Awesome. So it's I, mean, for cool. I didn't know, I didn't know you guys had that. Yeah. yeah. For, yeah. for a laundromat yeah. to have even one five-star review is almost unheard of. <laughs> that's, right. That's, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. How do you get a five-star review from a laundromat? I mean, to be honest, you, you, you sink a ton of money into really nice equipment and keeping it super clean and keeping it staffed. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, 
That's where everybody always comments like, oh, it's clean and there's nice people yeah. that work here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, well, imagine yeah. That. I mean, <laughs> yeah. The bar is so low and I love that you guys have really taken it as an opportunity <laughs> to give back. And, right. to, you know, most people just walk by a laundromat. They don't even think twice about it. They're like, oh, there's probably broken machines in there and you people, there's no Wi-Fi, you know, and then you've taken this and right. really turned it around into this hub, this community hub where people can, because it's such an opportunity for people to meet each other other and to grow that community. So that's incredible. Oh, it is. There's like kids reading rooms and like the oh, librarians cool. come and read to the kids and there's bookshelves throughout. Wow. There's lending library. And then like, I mean, yeah, it's, there's a lot going on there. So it's, it's fun. How cool. How cool. Okay. Well, Sam, we've covered a lot, but I'm sure we're just skimming the surface of this whole parking space and all that you are doing. So what's the best place that our listeners can go to learn more about all that you're doing? Sure. You can go to our website, parkingyourinvestments.com. Uh, you can also reach out to me directly via email, which is sam at parkingyourinvestments.com. Uh, I will respond. So yeah, feel free to reach out anytime and, and uh, would love to connect any, you know, through those sources. Awesome. Sam Wilson, creator of Parking Your Investments. Sam, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks, Sam. Thank you, Annie. Thank you, Julie. You've been listening to Investing for Good, the number one podcast for people like you who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design, and impact the world around them. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com slash podcast. And be sure to join the Investing for Good Facebook community. And don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations every week. Until next time, keep investing for good.